Well, good morning. I bring you greetings from Lisbon, Iowa, where a dozen of us last weekend went out to um, participate in a work day with Andrew B., our former pastor and his family, and some members of their church there in Un- Uncommon Church. Um, it, was a, it was a great weekend. If you want to hear more, see more pictures, you got to come to the business meeting, and I'll share a little bit more. But uh, they send their greetings. Uh, if you don't know who I am, if you're new, I'm Mark Barnes. I am, uh, because our pastor went to plant a church in Iowa, we are in this season of transition, and I'm one of the uh, guys on the preaching team that has uh, been preaching for almost a year now. And uh, I count it a, an honor and a privilege every time I get to do this. So let's pray and ask God to teach us this morning. Father, we come into your presence. Father, we, we come here and we ask that your Holy Spirit would be doing a work to teach us this morning. Not for knowledge's sake, but for transformation to become more like Jesus. We surround, our, we surround your word together and ask that it would speak to us this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my wife Kathy left for California yesterday, and I will be meeting up with her later this week. And whenever I fly, and I talk to my mom the day before, she usually ends the conversation this way, fly safe. Right? Fly safe. And I kind of chuckle and I go, I don't know that that's my responsibility. Like, I'm going to get in the plane, but I really don't have much control about how safely I fly. But we want to be safe. When we went to Indonesia, a group of us, uh, we talked with Nathan Fogerly, our missionary there in Indonesia. He flies planes into the jungles of Indonesia. And one of the things that stuck with all of us, he, he said, you know what? I've come to the conclusion that we all worship comfort. It's in us. We desire it. And I think comfort and safety are two things that we go, yeah, if I'm honest, man, definitely sign me up. That's what I want. And as we come to this passage this morning, it doesn't sound like Jesus is talking about Comfort and safety. And Marcia said she read this and didn't really know what to do with it. And I go, I get that, right? And we can look at that, this and go, hang on. He's talking to his 12 disciples. <sighs> Good. So let's sit back, relax, and see what's going on. But here's the thing. As Mark alluded to last, year, last week when he spoke, while he is speaking to his 12 disciples, I think that he's, what he, his message is going far beyond just these 12 guys. He's not just sending them out for a short-term mission trip. He's not going, I'm sending you out for a week. You're going to go do this and come back. Now, he has done that. But this, he is looking forward beyond just the next few weeks. And years, really. He's looking forward, and he's telling them what to expect as followers of him. 
And because he is doing that, I think we need to go to the end of Matthew. Spoiler alert, Jesus is going to be crucified and rise again. And before he ascends back to heaven, he gathers these these guys together again. And this is what he tells them in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, which means to keep or watch over, to guard, actively continue everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is sending these 12 out. But he is doing more than that. He is saying all that call themselves disciples of mine, I'm sending you out. And so today as we look at this passage, what I think we can do is we can say, what is Jesus' heart here? And what is his mission? Because he is calling all of us. If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, he is calling all of us to this mission. To this mission. And so we come to today's passage. And verse 16 says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Now, if you've been around much over the last year, as as Stuart has uh, preached, one of the things that you've caught, I hope, is whenever we hit the word behold, Stuart pauses and he says, know what this word means? Pay attention. Pay attention. Listen up. This is important. And so that has struck me. Last Sunday night we gathered as the preaching team. And we were just going through some of the the passages of Advent that we're going to be preaching. And Stuart was just reminding us, behold, behold, behold. And it's become part of my DNA of like, whenever I read and I see that word behold, it's like, stop. Pay attention. This is important. And so this word, this word that Jesus uses here, the first word in our passage today is behold. And I would agree that this verse is probably the most important thing that Jesus is going to say in this passage today. Everything else is kind of just describing what he means when he says that he's going to send you out like sheep among wolves. And so we read it, and Jesus says, I am sending you out. And the question is, why? Why is Jesus sending them out? They're disciples, they're followers. Send them out? Yes. So why? Well, we look and we back up. You might have noticed as each one of us preach, we like to back up because this is all connected. It's so important that you connect the dots and understanding the flow. While we gather once a week to hear from God's word in the book of Matthew, this wasn't broken up into little pieces. Jesus is weaving this story together, his command, his mission. This is all one, and so we need to back up and listen. And so we go back to Matthew 9, verse 36, and Jesus is out and he's doing what he had been doing. It says he was preaching and teaching and healing. He was talking about the good news of the kingdom of heaven. 
And as he was doing that, verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Stuart preached on this and he just described a sheep and I loved it. He said, what defense does a sheep have? Wool. Not a very good defense. They don't have sharp teeth or claws or long legs that makes them able to run. They have wool. They're helpless. They're at the mercy of those beasts around them. And Jesus sees them and he says they're being harassed. They're being filleted. Stuart said in the Greek, filleted. They're being used and abused. And Jesus sees them and has compassion on them. He says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says to his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers out into the harvest. And then, the very next thing we see is Jesus saying, here's an answer to that prayer. I've asked you guys to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Guess what? I'm sending out you as an initial answer to that prayer. Here's one thing, I, as I read that, it struck me. Like, as we pray, Are we asking God to do something for us? Or are we asking God to do something being willing participants in whatever he wants us to do? Because here Jesus tells his disciples to pray for laborers. And he says, ah, I see some laborers. And I'm going to send you out. And here's what he says. Chapter 10, verse 6 He says, um, well, verse 7, he says, I want you to go out and here's what I want you to do. I want you to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. I've heard this before somewhere. This is what Jesus has been doing. And he says, now, I want you to go and do this. And then he says, to who? Verse 6, I'm backing up, but he says, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans, but I want you to go and focus on the lost sheep, sheep of Israel. This word sheep keeps coming up, doesn't it? Jesus calls the people sheep without a shepherd. He calls the Jewish people the lost sheep of Israel. And then we get to today's passage. And I love it because he says... I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Here's the thing that I noticed. Jesus didn't make, turn them into some vicious animal. He didn't go, okay, I'm going to send you out. But before you do, I'm going to change you. I'm going to give you vicious teeth and claws. You are going to go out. You're going to be mighty soldiers. You know, he goes, I'm, I'm sending you out as sheep. Why? Because you're sheep. The only difference is 
their sheep and your sheep, but you have a shepherd. He saw the people as sheep without a shepherd. He says, you have a shepherd, and I'm sending you out, not by changing who you are, but by giving you my authority. In Matthew 28, we see Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, and I will be with you always. So they remain as sheep, but he is giving them his authority to go out. John 10, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. I love, Mark, the songs you picked today were just so good with this scripture. The reading of Psalm 23, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and those that are mine, they hear my voice and they follow me. In nature, we never see sheep going among wolves. We see wolves going among sheep to seek out to destroy, right? But in nature, you never see sheep going, hey, let's go visit those wolves. That would be foolish. And so the question is, Jesus paints this picture of sheep going out among wolves, and he says, and here's the thing, I want you to be wise as serpents, Remember Genesis 3 where we're told the serpent was the most crafty, wise of all God's creatures that he had made? And that's where it makes me think of, but, but that was evil. Ah, be wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves. That's how you're supposed to go out. As sheep that are wise, but innocent. And if I'm honest... I go, that's quite a picture, Jesus. And I don't know that if this will end well. If I'm just told this is the picture, I go, um, I'm not sure this ends well if we're supposed to go out as sheep and be innocent, but we're going to be among wolves. The rest of this passage, there is so much here, and we, we could go into it for hours. A few weeks ago, somebody told Mark, oh, I was hoping you were going to teach on this today. <laughs> and we laughed because I know, like, there's so much here. You're like, ah, we just go with what we think God puts on our hearts, and this is what I think God puts on our hearts. The rest of this, Jesus is describing what it looks like to be a sheep going out among wolves. He says that you are going to be delivered over to, to uh, courts, the courts he's talking about is the Sanhedrin, the Jewish courts. He says, they're going to take you into the religious courts where you're going to be beaten and flogged. This is what they did to Jesus. You're going to be humiliated. You're going to be rejected by the religious. You're going to be dragged before governors and kings to bear witness before them and Gentiles to be my witnesses. I love how Jesus says, I want you to focus on the lost sheep of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to Samaritans. Here's where your, your focus. But he says, oh, oh, you'll get there. You're going to be dragged away before governors and kings and Gentiles, and you will be my witnesses there. And then he says, 
the words that I think are probably the most difficult to hear Jesus say. But he says, and you will have family members that will hand you over to be killed. I can't imagine that. But he's warning them. This is what's coming. So who's on board? Who's signing up? Who's in? Raise your hand. Let's go. Who's on board? These are hard words to hear. And maybe you're a follower of Jesus today and you go, whoa, hang on. I, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know about this. And I go, I don't think these disciples did either when they signed up to follow Jesus. But as he is calling them to follow him, he continues to disciple them, and he tells them, this is what it's going to look like to be a follower of me. And I have to say, this mission sounds crazy. I'm guessing it sounds a little ridiculous to you. And the question is, why? Why does this sound like a crazy mission? Well, I think Jesus is going to tell us why. We'll get there eventually, but in Matthew 16, Jesus again has his disciples with him, and he says, guys, I must go to Jerusalem, and there I will be handed over to men who will beat me and kill me. And Peter, I'm, I'm sure Peter, I love Peter, because he just can't help himself but to burst out and say stuff. And I think he was, I think he was, I think he meant it. He said, this is what he said, this shall never happen to you. And I think Peter was just like, oh, you're wrong. I think he's like, no, I got your back. We've got your back. This will never happen. Now remember, Jesus has just said, this has to happen. And he's like, this will never happen. And here's the words that Jesus says to Peter, which I'm pretty sure shocked Peter. Because Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Why does this sound crazy to us that Jesus says, hey, you're going to follow me and this is what you can expect? It sounds crazy because why? We naturally have our focus on the things of man and not on the things of God. Realize that Jesus isn't the good shepherd that says, gentlemen, I will stay here and I'm sending you out. No, Jesus is saying, follow me. Jesus, we watch as he says, this is what I will do. And he reminds them that they won't be hated because of who they are. They will be hated because of whose they are. They are his sheep. They are his disciples. And because they are, Verse 22 says, 
you will be hated because of my name. I'm sure if Jesus had consulted his disciples before rolling out this mission, he said, here's the plan, guys. I'm sure, and it probably would have been Peter, but I'm pretty sure he would have went, hang on, you're sending us out as sheep among wolves. You're sending us out where you say we will be dragged into courts and we will be beaten, we will be thrown in prison, and most of us will probably die. And I imagine Peter going, okay, I don't know about the rest of you, but this doesn't sound like a good plan. How can this be? You see, for us, and maybe you're hearing this today, and you go, oh, hang on, this this has got to be for them. This has got to be for them. Because my Christianity says, I follow Jesus the best I can. That's what I'm called to. See, I, I come to church as often as I can. I give, I pray. Sometimes I I try to read the Bible. I try to be a good person. I try not to lie. That's what following Jesus is. That's what I'm trying to do. And I want us to gather around the Word today and go, that's not what Jesus has called us to. Jesus made a number of statements where there were thousands of people following Him, and once He did people left. We need to hear these words of Jesus today because he says, if you're a follower of mine, I'm going to send you out. And you are going to be like sheep among wolves. And you can expect persecution. You can expect all of these things. And you don't know what's going to happen. But are you willing to follow me? Stay focused on the things of God. And not on the things of man. Well, I lead off with that today. But I want to encourage you. Jesus is offering so much here. Like I said, if if the disciples were, were asked, they would say, this is not a good plan. I don't see how this works. But if we go past the Gospels to the first book of the Bible after the Gospels, it's the book of Acts. And what do we see in the book of Acts? I'm I'm doing a Bible study in the book of Acts with a friend, and as we're we're reading it, he keeps going, wow, isn't this cool? Isn't this cool how the Gospel just seems to keep going everywhere? I'd love to see that. Would you love to see that? I would love to see that. And I go, Jesus has a plan for us to see that. In the book of Acts, there are 120 followers of Jesus. Jesus has thousands following him. Right? He feeds the 5,000. He feeds the 4,000. There's all these people that come with the, the sick and the and demon-possessed, and all of these things are happening, thousands. And by the time he dies, there's about 120 that gather. They gather in an upper room, and Jesus had told them before he ascended back to heaven, he said, hey, 
Wait in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is coming. You can't do this on your own. This mission plan I have does not work if you are going to do it. So wait for the Holy Spirit. And as they're waiting and praying, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Jesus said, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit will come. Right now you have me. But when I leave, you will all have the Holy Spirit living within you. And as Marcia said, the Holy Spirit will be the one that gives you the words to speak. And within a matter of days, thousands are added to their number. The church explodes, the gospel goes out, and people believe that Jesus was and is the Messiah. Why? Because they were really good at convincing them? No. Why? Because of all that Jesus did? Well, he did, and that, that, he demonstrated who he was, absolutely, but it was because the Holy Spirit came and changed everything. And you go, beautiful. This is God's plan. And then persecution comes. Time out. God, like, I saw you moving. I saw you doing stuff. This is good. I want to be a part of this. And then we see Stephen dragged away and stoned to death. And a man named Saul is standing there watching. It says that persecution broke out. And they scattered. They ran. And if we're honest, we can go, wait, wait, wait. This is what Jesus said would happen. But this isn't good, is it? And what do we see as we watch it unfold in the book of Acts? We see that everywhere these followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus ran, the gospel was taken with them. And we see these little pockets of churches starting to be planted and growing. And the gospel is spreading in the midst of persecution. That's what Jesus is telling them. That was the book of Acts. And you go, okay. But does God still do these kind of things today? Let me encourage you this morning because so often we have our blinders on. We, we live in little tiny rolling meadows or the surrounding area. We live in Illinois in the United States and we go, is God doing anything? Is God doing anything? I don't know. I don't know. It seems like I don't see a whole lot happening. Do you know the number one place in the world where the gospel is exploding and going forth, where the church is growing like no place else? Iran. Iran. In places like Iran and Indonesia and China, where the church is under persecution, the church is exploding like nowhere else. Let me encourage you about Iran because as I was preparing, um, it's just interesting how God puts things in front of you. And I just started to see some of the activity. We see in the news right now that there's upheaval going on in Iran, right? The church is growing in Iran. 
1979, there was a revolution in Iran where um, Islamic law was put back in place. Islamic law is not very forgiving of Christians. And so the Christians there in Iran, when, when the revolution happened, were, found themselves suddenly under great persecution. I saw, read about a husband and wife that talked about being followers of Jesus in Iran. This is now. And they said, we have, we have had con- uh, communication. We, have, we remind each other of our commitment to Jesus. And we say, when, not if, because more than likely it's when, the soldiers come and break down our door and ask if we are followers of Jesus, we will say yes. And we know that they will drag us out, they will rape us, they will beat us, they will throw us in prison, and there's a good chance that we will die. But we remind each other how much it, how 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 great of an honor it is to follow Jesus and that we will not deny him they said every day when they walk out of their house they know there is no guarantee they will walk back in they're truly sheep among wolves One of, uh, I, I, I listened to some Christians who were interacting with church leaders within Iran. They had come out to Indonesia to have a time of, of um, teaching, instruction, rest, to go back in. And when they came out, they said, here's some interesting things that they learned. Church planting before the revolution was all about converts. You planted a church, you tried to get people to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Good. You're a convert. And our goal then is after we get converts, we hope to disciple them to become true followers of Jesus. But the focus was on, let's see if we can't get converts. They said what we realized is when the revolution came, and persecution comes, converts flee. So after the revolution, church planting took on a new dynamic. Church planting meant coming in to make disciples. Make disciples. And instead of making converts that you hope become disciples, you make disciples that become converts. And, and it's, a, it's a shift, it's a mind shift, but because why? In America, in the Western church, I think we're still focused on making converts and hoping they become disciples. And I hope that you're all sensing there is a shift because God has called us not to make converts, but to make disciples. A few years ago, I, I, I told somebody, a brother in Christ, that 
I was discipling a couple young men. I said, they're not believers. He said, hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't disciple unbelievers. I said, I think that's what it is. We disciple unbelievers so they understand and start to obey and follow Jesus. And as they do, they get to a point where they go, I want that. I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord. I see my need. I need a shepherd. Jesus' command says, go and make disciples. You realize that the baptism comes later? We continue to make disciples all the way through. You become a a believer, but we don't stop and go, good, you're good. No, we keep discipling you to follow Jesus, and that's why we come to today's passage. And you go, I'm not doing that. That scares me. That's okay. Let's learn together how we do this together. Some of the other things that they talked about in the churches in Iran. There are no buildings. There's no budgets. There's no denomination. There's, they have these groups of small churches that are disciple makers. And also, often, a group will gather around the word and maybe none of them, but maybe one of them is a follower of Jesus. But often, most of them are not followers of Jesus yet. But they gather around the word to see what it says. And the Holy Spirit is moving and opening their eyes and seeing their need for the things that Jesus is saying. One of the things that these guys, these these leaders that were, these Americans that were um, helping to train these Iranian church leaders, when they went over, they said, we, we had envisioned um, these guys as the A-team, right? These guys front line. This is, man, this is, um, they got to be tough. They got to be good. And what they said is, they were just ordinary guys. It almost shocked them. And, and they would say, they were sheep. They weren't superhuman. They were sheep. Just, you look at them and go, you? Yes. And they said there was great joy. In the midst of hard things, there was great joy. I look at this passage, and I go, look at the church in Iran. The things that I've read about and seen, they certainly are sheep among wolves. They are, they are wise. Jesus doesn't go, hey, go among the wolves and just die. Just die. He says, no, be wise, but be innocent. They don't desire to die, but the word is everything. None of them are going, oh, have you heard this pastor? He's great. you got to hear him. Listen to this guy. Download his sermons. It's great. Oh, this podcast. It's wonderful. No, they gather around the word because the word speaks. They've never heard these things. The Holy Spirit's teaching them. They know that they can't survive without prayer and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Imagine this. How do you grow a church in Iran? Well, it it requires somebody to be bold enough to go, hey, you want to hear about Jesus Christ? Those words in Iran can put you in prison, right like that, right? Right? 
What do they do? They go, we know we have to pray. We know we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We are looking and praying for, as they would call him, a person of peace and say, God, who is open to the gospel? And I'm going to be, I'm going to be a sheep and I'm going to be bold enough to say, hey, can I talk to you about something? And I know I'm going to risk it all, but I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit is going to put somebody in my life that God has already been working on. And here's what happens. They find that person, and they sit down, and they start to share the Bible, the Gospels. They start from the beginning. It's just, let's, let's read the Word. Let's get to know this God. And when they do, they do something similar to seven arrows, things like that, just some questions that they can, what does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about us? What, is, what does this demand of you to do? And then they add, who should you share this with? Is there anybody that you know that you think needs this? And often, it's other family members. Hey, yeah, yeah, my, my husband, my wife, my cousin. They live in family communities, right? Next thing you know, they get together again, and now there's seven of them. There's one believer, there's, there's seven others that, that don't know Christ yet, and he is discipling them. Hey, who should you share this with? And they share, and some come to Christ. Now, what do they do? Well, someday, maybe if you go to seminary, you could also make disciples. No, here's somebody, a brand new believer, and they say, hey, You need to go and make disciples. Who are you going to share this with? And this brand new believer prays and looks and asks the Holy Spirit to put somebody on their heart and looking for that person of peace and they interact with somebody and they go, hey, can I share something with you? And the next thing you know, this new believer is is got seven people gathered around him. They're all in the Word. One new believer and seven unbelievers. You go, hang on, that doesn't work. That, That Nope, nope, nope. God's word is powerful. And they just try to live it out. They try to instruct, and they are, but so often we go, well, wait till you're more mature. The way you mature, you start to make disciples, and you grow like never before. Last week, Mark reminded us of the word frog, F-R-O-G. I love that. I had forgotten about that, Mark. Fully rely on God. I tell you, as I read these things about the people, the followers of Jesus in Iran, I go, they are fully fully relying on God. Because they know if they don't, they're doomed. If they rely on anything within them, they're done. as we gather around the Word today. I hope that we struggle with this. And we go, God, what do we do with this? I head up men's ministry and and we have discipleship groups. We've been learning to do this, but Kathy and I were talking this week, like, and it is, it's my heart, how do we take this out of here? Right? How do we take discipleship beyond the walls of this church? We can't be satisfied and comfortable. We have to take it outside these walls. 
God has put on Kathy and my heart to invite people very different from us into our home. Different in a lot of ways. Whether that's religion, sexuality, whatever. Just like invite them. And we know they're not believers, but that's okay. Not to invite them in to convince them, but to invite them in to have conversation, to invite them in to believe that we want to have a relationship. So that, in that, God can use by His Holy Spirit and His Word conversation to call people into the kingdom. I have to admit, I don't know how to do that. And that's okay to admit. But we need a sense of urgency that this is what God has called us to. Are we willing to start praying and looking for people that are open to the gospel? He calls us to that. If we want to see the things that we see happening in the book of Acts in Iran and other places around the world, I think we need to change our thinking because we worship comfort, we worship safety. And Jesus says, then you're not following me. Why does he send us out? Because there are sheep without a shepherd. And we have the great shepherd, the good shepherd, who loves us and he says, follow me. Bring this good news to the sheep. Would you pray? Father, we, in so many ways, I don't even know how to, to ask you to do a work in us. There's a part of me that fears it. There's a part of me that says, I just don't know how. And yet there's a huge part of me that desires what you desire. So, Father, I pray for us in this place, in this community, that that you would help us to follow you no matter the cost. Father, I lift up this morning just such a great reminder of brothers and sisters around the world who have laid down their lives and picked up their crosses to follow you, Jesus, as you called us to do, that are willing to pay any price for the gospel because there are sheep without a shepherd. And they find great joy in it. They see you in it. They experience what you called the disciples to do in proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And so, Father, I lift up right now brothers and sisters, especially in Iran. Father, I pray for protection that your Holy Spirit would lead them and guide them for your purposes in your kingdom. I pray your spirit would be going before them, already breaking the hard ground for the gospel. Father, I pray the same for our country. 
I pray for your church to be your church. Jesus, to follow you with all that we have, no matter the cost. To lay aside our focus on man and to focus on God. Father, I, I think of those within our church. and I, Father, I pray you would use our church. I pray that you would use this as a lighthouse in this community. Father, we desire that. I know we've said that, but as we pray that, I pray that we would also offer up ourselves to be used by you. Not only to desire to follow you, but to follow you. Father, I thank you for the people of this place. I thank you for all that you've put in this place. I thank you for the brothers and sisters that we do this not as lone rangers, but together you have called us to be your bride, that we can encourage each other, that we can walk with each other, we can help each other to follow Jesus together. And Father, I I lift up Betty McIntyre right now, our sister who has fallen and, and, and fractured a bone and is, is recovering, and I know that she's in pain. Father, I pray against the lies of the evil one that want to discourage her in these days. Father, I pray for your protection. I pray for your healing. And Father, we pray for Sharon Rickerson's uh, nephew, Noah. Little Noah has had so many physical things go wrong. He struggles so much. And as Sharon said in, in her prayer request, they need a miracle. Father, we come to you, the miracle giver. And Father, we say, do what you desire for your purposes. But as a, a body of believers, we lift up little Noah and his family right now. We lift up Sean and Joe, his grandparents. Father, I pray you would bring people around to love little Noah as you love him. I pray they would all know how much you do love him. And Father, we thank you for little Gloria that you brought safely into the world this past week to Simone and Abby. Father, we lift her up even now and pray that as she grows physically, she would also grow spiritually to come to know, love, and become like you, Jesus. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ.